The Bible reading is from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 to 25, and that can be found on page 76 in the Bibles in the Pews. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows, not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai, because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain, and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And we pray. 
Thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity not only to say thanks, but to show thanks through our offerings and to show thanks to you through our sharing of what we have with those who have a lot less. So we thank you for food and friends, for family and faith, for work and play, for health and strength, for help and support, for, Lord, the list could go on and on and on. But with grateful hearts we say, thank you. Help us to show it more and more. It was a thrill this morning to be part of young Luke's baptism, to share with Andrew and Emma in the joy that a new baby brings, and with them to claim your covenant mercies upon him. We pray for young Luke, his mum and dad, his big sister Olivia, for the rest of their family and indeed for all our families. May our children be brought up in the truths of the gospel and the ways of the faith. And may they in due time hear the Savior's call and follow him in faith. We, we pray, Lord, for parents. Now, we know there's no such thing as a perfect mother or father. So we pray that parents may rely on you. And Lord, keep them from beating themselves up when things don't turn out quite right. Make our church family one which shows understanding and gives support. Keep us from being critical, from making superficial judgments when we don't know the whole story. Lord, thank you for those who serve other people's children in the creche, kids own, in parents and tots and caris, in the BB and the guides, brownies and rainbows, in merge and submerge and at walkway. And thank you for those who serve children professionally as teachers and assistants and dinner ladies and cleaners and, and all the rest who work at schools and colleges. Lord, in all that we do and are in this congregation and in other congregations. May the love of Jesus be shown and shared. And may those who haven't got it all together find in Jesus the perfect elder brother who makes all things new.
And hear us now as we bring our personal prayers and our concerns in the silence. And all we pray is in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Good morning. Um, we've been working through the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. Uh, this is our second last uh, sermon on this chapter, on this book. And so if you're new to us this morning, please turn to page 76 of the Pew Bibles in front of you and you'll find Exodus chapter 19. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 25. So page 76 of the Pew Bibles. And let me pray for us as we come to God's word this morning and hear his voice. Father, the prophet Isaiah, when he came into your presence, said that he was ruined because he stood in your holiness. Zechariah in the New Testament went into the temple and was struck by the holiness of God as well. Father, as we come to this passage in Exodus 19 this morning, may we see something of your holiness and may it impact on the way that we think about you, the way that we relate to you, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please have the scriptures open in front of you. As you'll see this morning, chapter 19, verses 1 to 2, begins a new section in the book of Exodus. And you can tell this by the way it's introduced. Do you see it? It gives us times and dates and places. Verse 2 says, they, that is God's people, set out from Rephidim. They entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped in the desert in front of the mountain. So here they are, somewhere between two and three months after the Passover in Egypt. They're in the Sinai Desert, camped in front of a mountain, more, more than likely Mount Sinai. And the question you have is, so what? Big deal. What is the significance or importance of this detail? And let me start off this morning by saying this. It's important and significant because what it's communicating to us this morning is this, is that God always keeps his word. You see, ever since God met Moses at the burning bush in chapter 3 of Exodus, God has been working out a promise that he made to Moses that day in chapter 3. Here's what it says. It'll come up on the screen. I will be with you, Moses, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God promised that he would bring his people to this mountain to worship after they were taken out of slavery. And since that initial promise was made, God has since brought 10 plagues to the Egypt. He's shown his people how they were to be rescued through the blood of a lamb. The people have left Egypt in its oppressive slavery God has led them by a pillar of fire and cloud through the unknown wilderness. He's brought them through the Red Sea. God has provided water and food and navigated them to this moment, this time in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 19, when they're camped at the foot of the mountain that God said he would bring them to. You see, God always keeps his promise. Despite the length of time, 
and sometimes the difficult obstacles that we face, God always keeps His promises. As we near the close of our time in Exodus next week, God's promises are always sure. Yes, there may be delays in timing, particularly for us when we go, what is God doing? Things may appear impossible, but the point of this first two verses is that He always keeps His promise. He's not like you and I. He will always keep His promise, despite timings, despite delays, despite obstacles. He will always fulfill His Word. So the promises that you read in God's Word are always going to be fulfilled. We mentioned Advent at the start. God is going to come back. That's what He has said. He will fulfill that promise one day. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 19 are reminding us. They sit at the mountain, the foot of it. You know what? You go, what's all the detail for? It's there to remind you and remind us this morning, God always keeps His promises. But why has God taken them to this place? God has taken them here, and it is my first heading this morning, to prepare His people to receive His Word, the law. In chapter 20, if you flick it over, God will give His people the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. And this chapter, chapter 19, is all about preparing the people to hear the words of God. But listen in verses 3 to 5 to how God prepares them, to what He says to them through Moses. They're just about to receive the law in chapter 20. Here's what He says to them in chapter 19. God says to Moses, this is what you are to say to the people. Verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. God is reminding people in this verse of what He has done for them. This generation has seen, I've seen, they've seen it with their own eyes, what God has done for them in Egypt, through the plagues and the Red Sea, eyewitnesses of it. We saw God then uses the picture of an eagle. Do you see it where he carries them on an eagle's wings? I'm a big fan of uh, Planet Earth 2 in the BBC at the moment. And if you saw episode two last week, uh, I think it was last week, on it, you just bowled over with the photography, the images of mountains, animals. But recently in episode two, they focused on the golden eagle. Maybe some of you saw it. And in Planet Earth 2, the eagle soared. Now, some have said it's fake. I, I don't know. I don't care. It looks great anyway. <laughs> but you just saw this eagle, and you feel slightly sick as you watch this eagle. They must have had some camera on its neck or back, or else it is fake. And... The eagle is soaring through the skies. And then, I love these facts, the the program revealed that the eagle can see its prey from two miles away. And you're just going, two miles away, this bird can spot an animal or some sort of carrion or a dead mouse or whatever it is. And then it sweeps down with crazy speeds and grabs its victim in its talons. But also, I know this wasn't in BBC Planet, Planet Earth 2, but also with the eagle, when they have young, they will push their little ones out of the nest to fly. And sometimes when the little ones get into trouble, they will just sweep down and get them. And that's the picture here that we have of God. He is like the golden eagle who swoops down and rescues and carries its people to safety. It's a beautiful image of God as an eagle. On the one hand, he plucks his people from Egypt. And then on the other hand, he lifts them up and carries them and draws them to themselves. 
And this is what God has done for His people. They are a rescued people, redeemed people, all done by the mighty hand of God Himself. And He reminds them of it. You have seen how I've carried you. You've seen how I rescued you and brought you to Myself. But look at what the Lord God says to them in in verses 5 and 6. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my, my covenant, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God rescued this people for a purpose. It was to bring them into relationship with him so that they would live for God's glory. And in chapter 20, they're going to find out exactly what it means to be a covenant in covenant relationship with God. And that is why God says to them what he says here in verse 5. You see, God's desire for his people is that they would be three things. The first is this, that they would be his treasured possession. What a lovely phrase. He's saying to us, I own everything. All the earth is mine. But you, my people, are my treasured possession. I'm sure many of us here this morning have a cabinet or a cupboard where you have something stored or protected. Perhaps it's that sports medal that you won as a kid. Now you're, you're 50, 60, you've got a pot belly, and you look at that medal, and you think, you know what? That's my treasured possession up there. I remember my heyday. Maybe you've got a family heirloom or a piece of pottery, and it really is your treasured possession. It's put there and looked and cared for. It's special and personal to you. And it's the same idea here with regard to God and his people. God wants his people to be his treasured possession. The Hebrew says his segula, his segula, his personal possession. He owns everything. But he's saying to his people, you are to be my treasured possession. But the question you've got to ask is, is why? It's not as if they were anything special. They were prone to moan and grumble. Do you remember? They had a habit of not doing what they were told. Remember when they were told, don't go out on the Sabbath to collect food. What did they do? Out they went. It's not as if they were a powerful nation. This is a puny nation. In fact, they're a nation of liberated slaves. So what does God want this type of people for his treasured possession? Listen to the answer from Deuteronomy 7. It says this, The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. God chose them simply because he loved them. God chooses those who are his all because he loves them, and so often there isn't something attractive or endearing to the people that God chooses. They're people like you and I, sinners, Not much to write home about. But you know what? God first loved us before we loved him. It's God's prerogative. Why does God choose his people? He loves them. It's his prerogative. He knows and he loves and he makes a people for himself who is his treasure possession. And you know why? When you grasp that, that he just loves us, I don't know why, but he wants his people as his treasure possession, then you understand why Ephesians 1 puts it like this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before you could ever offer him anything, before you were ever even born, he chose his people 
In, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace so that none of us can boast. None of us can turn around and go, you know what, God got a good one here. No, in fact, he's saying he loves us, he's predestined you, he's picked you before the world ever began, and he does it because he loves us, and what it is is because of God's grace, undeserving of it. Reichenen again says it like this. He says this, the people, they were not precious because of who they were. Yes, they're made in the image of God. That gives them great honor. But there's nothing special about them. But it's all because of who God was. What makes God's people special is not who they are, but rather the God who has loved them and called them to himself. As God's people, we are more loved than we will ever realize, than ever understand for ourselves here. That is why we need to know the depth and the breadth of it. The second thing is that God wanted them to be a kingdom of priests. Do you see it there in verse 5 and 6? The phrase only appears here in the scriptures. The priestly role, when it was placed later in Exodus, had communicated access. You have access to God as a priest. You are communicating the relationship with God, and this is what God wants. Israel was to have that priestly role of representing God both to the people, but also to the world. They were to be a relationship of showing God's relationship, of access to God, a light to the nations. And here in this chapter, he reminds them, you are to be my treasured possession. You are to be a priesthood kingdom of priests. And then thirdly, we see they were to be a holy nation. Here, holy means set apart or distinct. You see, God wanted a people, a nation, who were all these things living distinctively from the surrounding nations around them. And the amazing thing next week as we look at chapter 10, or chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, is that the Sinai Covenant was going to map out for them a distinct moral, religious, and cultic lifestyle that was so distinct from others. Even the first command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, that one. Why is that so different from the other nations? Because they worshipped every type of God. They were to love God and love others. It was cultivating them, making them distinct. And today, as New Testament believers, God wants his people to still be a holy, distinctively different people. That is why Peter, in writing to the Christians, says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, listen to the language and think of Exodus. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is the identity of God's people. This is who we are and what we are to live out. Holy because God is holy. What does it mean to live a holy life? We need the word of God to map that out for us, to shape it, to form us in our thinking so that we're not just taking our own ideas of what it means to be distinct and different, but rather using God's word but do you notice how all of this is mentioned in verses 4 to 6 is conditional? Do you notice or do you see the beginning of verse 5? Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, you will be. If. Raymond Brown explains if in this verse in the following year. He says this. He says, it relates not to the covenant status of being what they are, but to covenant enjoyment. In other words, here is who the people of God are, and yet the enjoyment, the fulfillment of it depends on them 
being obedient to God's Word and keeping the covenant that's going to be spelled out in chapter 20. Do you get that? The enjoyment of covenant relationship with God and all its benefits are going to come down to obedience and how the people, the covenant people, do that. And so we see in verses 7 and 8 the people's response to all this. Moses went back to the elders, verse 7, and then set before them the words of the Lord. And then in verse 8, they collectively say, we will do everything that the Lord has said. Their response is positive, even though at this moment in time, they don't fully realize what's coming in chapter 20. But they're going, we'll do it. We want to be his treasured possession. We want to be a holy nation. We want to be a kingdom of priests. We'll do whatever he asks. This is God making us a something that we're not in. And then as God, next section, verses 9 to 16, God prepares them. Verse 9, look at what God says. I'm going to come down in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Isn't that amazing? God is about to come down and speak with this people. His coming down will endorse Moses' role as God's spokesman or mediator. But before God comes down and speaks, they're going to have to get ready. Moses in verse 10 was instructed to consecrate them. Now, some think this might be a sacrifice, and I think I lean towards that. But he gets them ready, and there are two specific things. You have to wash your clothes. Do you see it? Verse 10. And you have to abstain from sexual relationships. This is the God saying to his people, you need to get ready. You can't just come into the presence of God without being ready. Both these requirements would have got the people taken off the clothes off their back, washing them, being clean. But then they had to keep sexual relations. That whole idea is that they would keep their heart and their minds for God alone, not distracted. But we see there's one more restriction or one more thing that has to be done in verse 12. Do you see it? Limits are set. In 1993, I don't know if many of you remember this band. I remember the song. Um, the band, Two Unlimited, released a techno kind of tune that had the following words. No limits will reach for the sky. No valley too deep. No mountain too high. No, no limits will reach for the sky. We do what we want. And we do it with pride. And then it goes, no, 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 no. There's no limits. Remember that? Okay, great. 1993, Two Unlimited. There we go. Brilliant song, huh? <laughs> and, and I guess... I guess that song was brilliant for many reasons because it captures our human desire, doesn't it, for freedom. We can do what we want, no limits. And it can often be the way that we approach God as well. As verse 12 puts it out, but verse 12 turns that on its tables and it says that God told Moses to put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever shall touch the mountain shall surely be put to death. Limits are set in verse 12. It's a bit like the royals, isn't it? Or world leaders or some dignitaries coming to an event or a country. You can't just walk up to them and go, hello. There's limits set. There's boundaries set. And here's the same idea with God at verses 12 and 13, where God tells Moses to set boundaries for the people. They're not to go up the mountain or touch the edge of it. Even their animals are to keep a distance. And you've got to ask this question, why? It's not because God doesn't want to engage with them, but rather it is because of his holiness and glory that people are to keep their distance. God's holiness and glory will destroy them 
if they break the limits of what God says. Imagine what that must have been like. Imagine, we reckon there's about 600,000 people in Israel at this moment in time. Imagine what that would have been like as they're camped near this mountain. Imagine if you had young children. They're hard enough controlling church, let alone at the foot of a mountain. And you say to yourself, don't wander up. Don't go there. Imagine your goats and your sheep wandering around the foot of the mountain, and you've been warned that if you go beyond the limits, God's holiness will break out or deal with you. The people must have been very conscious of the holiness of God, conscious that to transgress it meant that they were in trouble. If you were there that day, you would have been so familiar or aware of God's coming. He says He's coming. We can't go beyond the boundaries that He has set for us. And God sets two, uh, these boundaries for two reasons. The first is to highlight His transcendency and holiness. God's transcendency means this, His otherness, His separateness from us, His creatures. That is captured so well in His holiness, which is perfect and pure. God is totally different from you and I. He's holy. That is why in this passage you have God both revealing Himself but also concealing himself. God did this that when he met Moses in chapter 3, do you remember? He was able to meet him in the burning bush, but he also had to keep his distance. There was a revealing and a concealing. And the same is true here in Exodus 19. God will speak. He'll reveal his word, but he's slightly concealed. There's a mystery here. And it's because if God were to reveal himself completely, nobody would be able to stand. In fact, you would be consumed. Again, Philip Reichman writes this challenging words to us. He says this, we live in an age of imminence, an age that sees God as a personal friend rather than a supreme deity. And I wonder, is that true for our times? Where years ago, the holiness and the fear of God would be driven into you, and we've gone totally the other way. God's your friend. He's with you. He wants to know you. And you know what? The two of them aren't mutually exclusive, as we see here in this passage. He reveals himself, but he also conceals. And I wonder, have we swayed more into the imminence? God wants to be your friend, your buddy. He loves you. All true. But how much are we putting behind the holiness of God? Here in this passage, the people were aware he wants to know us, but there's boundaries. God's holiness has to be understood too. And here in Exodus 19, God's holiness is displayed in a very vivid way as God comes down to speak with his people so he sets it to show his holiness, but he also does it for our protection. God sets limits on how we are to approach him for our own protection. Here in Exodus 19, it is Moses alone who acts as a mediator between the people of God. Moses is the one that goes up because God tells him to. So the question that all this raises this morning is this. If God's holiness sets limits thus far and no further, if God requires of us full obedience to his covenant words, the question is, are you equal to the task? Are you brave enough to cross the limits and take the chance of being consumed by God's holiness? Are you fully obedient to God's word? Because this is the standard of God. And you know what? If you follow the people of God, they were a disaster, an absolute disaster. Exodus 20, they will receive the law. Further on, they start worshiping a golden calf. 
Further on into history, they disobey God's word again. Further on, they do it again. And sometimes they just forget the word. Other times they're deliberately sinning against God's thing. They were a disaster. Is there any hope for you and I then? If these were like this, the reality is some of us think we're good enough. We think we're holy enough, obedient enough. But if we listen to the reality of God's word, he tells us that no one's righteous, not even one. All our acts are like filthy rags. And if that's the case, we're ruined as people. But here's the good news for you and I this morning. We're not good enough. We are never good enough to cross those boundaries that God has set into his presence. We're not good enough to keep his word. But you know something? There's another mediator, far greater than this lad Moses in this passage. And here's what we hear about, in, and tonight we'll hear it again in Hebrews 12, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. You see, Jesus is the mediator that we all need. He was fully God, fully man. He came down and made God known to people like you and I. He lived an obedient life that we could never live, yet he died on a cross for our sins so that we would have the opportunity to be forgiven. New life, become the people of God. That covenant, he is obedient to the law. He is able to come into the holiness of God. He gives us his spirit, his word to live out. Folks, this is the hope for each of us. We are no different from the Old Testament people. We're not able to come into the holiness of God. We're not able to keep his word. And yet we all need Jesus in order for us to come to know him and be able to be reconciled with God. And this takes us to our last section of Exodus 19, verses 16 to 25. God comes down. And I was, going to get, I was going to get Brian to do this, but I didn't ask him. A trumpet sounds, verse 13, inviting the people to come to the camp to take their stand at the foot of the mountain. And as the people stand and watch, do you notice in verse 16 what's happened? See what they're seeing. See what they smell. See what they experience in verse 16. God comes down in the form of thunder and lightning, tick, thick cloud. And we're told at the end of 16 that everyone in the camp trembled. Verse 18, the smoke billowed up from the mountain. The whole mountain trembled and the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then God spoke and the voice of God is heard. God is still the same today. He hasn't changed. He's still the Holy One. He's still the one who's full of glory. And oh, how we play down God's holiness and great glory where we approach God as if he was our equal, just a little bit bigger and greater than we are. And we see from verse 20 onwards, God descends on the top of the mountain and warns Moses to go back down and warn the people again not to come up. Moses is to tell even the priests. Maybe the priests thought, I can, I can swan up here just like Moses or the elders, but they have to consecrate themselves. And then look at verse 23. Moses appears to get impatient with the Lord. It's as if he's saying to God, we got the memo. We heard you the first time. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up the mountain because you yourself warn us, put limits around the mountain and set it as holy. And the Lord just turns to him in verse 24, Moses, go down and bring up Aaron, but the people and the priests must not force their way up or I'll break out against them. This chapter today highlights the holiness of God coupled with the revelation of God's word. And the interesting thing tonight, and I'd encourage you to come back tonight to Hebrews 12, which Philip will be looking at, is that Exodus 19 and is referenced in Hebrews 12. 
And this is, the, this is the link with the two. Exodus 19 says that God speaks and the earth trembles or shakes. Hebrews 12, it says that God speaks through his son today. And the Lord Jesus, there is coming a time when he will shake the earth and the heavens. It's pointing forward to his return. In the meantime, Hebrews 12 says the following to us and to every one of us gathered here this morning. See to it that you do not refuse him, that is Jesus who speaks. Since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God spoke in Exodus 19 and the world shook. Jesus speaks today and continues to speak, but one day he's coming back and he will shake heaven and earth. And what Hebrews 12 is saying to us, in the meantime, don't close your ears to hearing Jesus speak through his word, because he's going to shake the, this world. But you know what? He's going to give us a kingdom that can be unshaken. And so in the meantime, worship him with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Today we see the holiness of God. It should affect our worship and our prayer life. We see the word of God in what it means to be holy but we also need God's mediator, who is the Lord Jesus. Let me close in prayer this morning. Father God, how often we are so familiar with you that we enter your presence, we enter a time of praise and worship as if you were just like us. And Father, thank you for the reminder this morning that you are holy and that, Lord, if we were to see you in all your glory, we would be consumed. Father, we pray this morning, we thank you so much that you have provided a mediator for us in the person and life of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is our perfect mediator, the one who can bring us into the very presence of God, dressed in his righteousness and goodness. And, Father, we thank you for all that he has achieved through his death and resurrection. Lord, we pray today as we look at Exodus 19, Lord, may it affect the way that we worship and praise you. May it affect the way that we receive your word so that we will worship you with reverence and awe because you are a God who is a consuming fire. Lord, for those here today who don't know you yet, Lord, will you entice them with the fact that there is a mediator, that they can know forgiveness of sins, that they can become God's treasured possession, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, all because of Jesus and nothing of themselves. Lord, thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.